You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Would you find your Bibles and look with me in the book of Acts chapter 21? Acts chapter 21, just um, a little different thought pattern this morning. Uh, Although it kind of carries some of the theme of some of the um, thoughts that have been put out there, put forth out of the book of Ephesians, um, you can't read the book of Acts without realizing that there's, uh, you know, there's several characters in there that kind of stand out. But one of them that to me seems to stand out more than any other is the Apostle Paul and his attitude toward the people that he was trying to minister to. That guy, before he got saved, you wouldn't want to have met him, but after he got saved, you'd never want to leave him. He just was one of those men that were remarkable. You would just feel love just by being around him. Um, his attitude was probably much before salvation, real gruff, caustic, critical, um, demanding, but after his salvation, it is stunning to me. You have to remember about Paul, the Bible says he was caught up to the third heaven. That's like where God is. And God taught him special things uh, that Paul needed to know to be able to come back to this earth and minister those things to the Gentiles and to the rest of the world that would listen to the gospel message. You need to know that. You need to remember that. Uh, With that kind of a mindset, what must have been in his heart? To stand in the presence of God, and he's the one that said, he said, I don't even know if I was in the body or out of the body when all this was going on, but he caught me up to that third heaven, and God taught him some very special lessons and he caught the Spirit of God. He was so humble, and he was so willing to condescend, the Bible speaks about, being, being willing to humble himself and to lower himself down to the level of any man just so that he would be able to reach those people for the Lord. Guys, we are so contrary to that in today's Christianity. Um, you'll find in, in the message here this morning that you know, we demand our rights, we demand this, and we feel like I, I'm owed this, and we have this in entitlement uh, mentality today across America and really sweeping around the world that you owe me. And Paul had the attitude that I owe you. That was his attitude. And he would give his life that way. And I long for this guy standing up here and for the folks that are uh, part of our church services to have that attitude. I want to. I want to be willing. I want to meet people right where they are. I don't want them to look at me and think that well, he's you know he's one of those guys, and I can never measure up to him. And I'm not talking about not living out your spirituality. I'm not talking about laying aside Bible principles and just living like the world. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about being willing to bring yourself down to a level where they feel like you're not looking down on me and you're somebody I can deal with and somebody I can really listen to. I, um, I know I've not even read our passage yet, but back in uh, Bible college, uh, there was a guy in my home church. His name was Ed Hungaski. 
uh, he just witnessed to everybody. Everywhere we went, he was always talking about the Lord and giving out tracts. And I mean, everybody he talked to, he, he would witness to them. And so I went with him one day to take his lawnmower to the um, repair shop. And, and uh, we stood there uh, at, the, at the counter, and there were three guys behind the counter. They were covered in grease, and they were swear words were flying. And, uh, and it wasn't a good day for them. And, and uh, so uh, finally one of them stood up and said, yeah, what, what can I help you with? And he's trying to pick up his lawnmower. And he goes, yeah, what's your name? And he gave it to him. And Ed started in. I'm like, oh, Ed, these are not the guys you want to talk to like this right now. I remember this so plainly, and I'm like, just kind of like wanting to sink a little bit behind the counter. And he's talking about the Lord. You guys know that you're saved. Do you know for sure you're on your way to heaven? And, um, and they're like, no, and blank, don't care about it. You know, one of those kind of attitudes. And they just kept working on things. And, and I looked up at Ed, and Ed started crying. I mean, literally, there were tears coming down his eyes. And he said, guys... And they looked up at him, and they saw his expression, and they saw his heart coming out of his expression. And, and he said, I really am concerned about your soul. And where would you go if you died today? Where would you go? And would you mind if I showed you? And this was the thing I remember the most. Would you mind if I could tell you how you could know Christ is your Savior? And one of the guys, he was the owner of the shop, I could tell. He stood up, and he said, buddy, um, Right now, I don't want to know that. But he said, if I ever want to, you're the man I'm coming to to find out. And that's, that struck in my heart so strongly. And I mean, in just within three minutes' time, those hard, gruff men, their hearts were tender and were open to the Lord. It really spoke to my heart. You could tell that God had gripped their hearts. They took a track um, and, and were willing to read it later on. That's the way Paul was. Paul was willing to do whatever it took so that you didn't feel like you were, um, you know, somebody lower in my opinion and, and that you really should, you belong over here, I belong here. It just wasn't that way. And I love the way he did it in our passage here this morning. And if you'll give me time to explain what's going on here, I really believe that kind of a spirit can work into, a, at least into this service this morning. Whether or not we allow it to work into our own hearts or not, I don't know, but I trust and pray that we will. Um, so Paul is on his way. Here's what you need to know. Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. He has to go back and report about, hey, uh, I, I've been witnessing to the Gentiles, and by the dozens, and in some cases by the hundreds, they've been getting saved. But listen, back home in Jerusalem, Jerusalem was filled with, the church at Jerusalem was filled with just Jews. And the Jews were upset that Paul was really messing up the message of the Old Testament. And trying to tell, you know, the Christians out there that you no longer have to uh, abide by the Old Testament law. It's not that important anymore. And the Jews back home in Jerusalem were angry at him. And in some cases, wanted to take his life. So, um, so they begged him, don't go back to Jerusalem. You know what's going to be there. And you know what's going to happen to you when you get there. Um, you're in Acts 21, right? Look what he answered to those guys when they were begging him to stay. Look in verse 13. Uh, then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus, if that's what it takes to go back and report that God has uh, adopted now into the economy of, of Christ the Gentiles as well. 
and I'm going to go. That was his attitude. Don't try to make me fearful and think you can make me not serve God out of fear because I am ready not to just be fearful or beaten. I'm ready to die for the cause if that's what I need to do. And so that's what he kept telling those people. And you can learn a lot of lessons from the trip into Jerusalem when the Apostle Paul um, gets there. Now, in verse um, 17, drop down there, he gets to Jerusalem, and now I want uh, to notice what happened and this kind of an attitude that Paul had, how he was able to demonstrate it into the lives of the people that were there. Verse 17, and when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. It's not so scary. What was so bad about that? Could have said that. And the day following, Paul went in with us unto James. Now, for your understanding today, James would have been looked upon as the pastor of the Jerusalem church, okay? He went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, greeted them properly, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. So he's opening it up, and he's laying it out for them. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. Well, this is better than expected. Uh, and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are. Now listen to what he's saying. This is important. Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. Now, guys, they, these are Jews that had gotten saved. And, uh, and they're still holding on to the law. That's what he wants him to see and understand. Verse 21. And they are informed of thee, Paul, that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. Now, guys, that was a big deal because these Jews back home in Jerusalem, they really were getting saved, but they had a hard time shifting out of the Old Testament and into the New, leaving the Old Covenant and understanding there's a New Covenant that there was an old way, but now there's a better way, which is Jesus Christ. And they, they just hadn't made the full, anybody here ever drive a standard? You go from first to second, you got to push the clutch in. You got to move the, the, the gear shift out of first gear. You got to slowly slide it into second gear. Um, and if you're my uh, three daughters, you grind the gears for a little bit and it jerks and it jumps all around, but you get it into gear. And the problem with these Jews were they were you know, they're trying to get out of first gear and get into second, but the clutch isn't fully out yet. It's a little jerky bit of a ride. It's a little bit of first gear and a little bit of second gear going on, so to speak. And that's kind of what was going on here with these, uh, with these Jews back home in, in Jerusalem, okay? So let's see, how far did we get? Um, and when they had glorified the Lord, thou seest, brother, yeah, verse 21, and yeah, verse 21, and they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. And guys, Moses was their hero. You don't forsake Moses. They, everybody looked up to him, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. So now in verse 22, what is it therefore? The multitude must needs come together, they're saying to Paul, for they will hear that thou art come in other words, they're going to come and hear. They want to hear what you have to say about all these things. Verse 23. So they're, they're going to come up with a plan to try to soften the blow a little bit. To try to show that, 
you know, uh, Paul, you're not all that bad, and you don't reject the law totally. So here's their plan to try to soften the blow a little bit in verse 23. Do therefore this that we say to thee. We have four men which have a vow on them. Now let's pause button again. Look up here. Can I have your attention? In verse 23, we'll come back to that. They have a, he said, we've got four of us. They've got a vow on them. And you're like, well, what kind of a vow is that? How many have heard of the Nazarite vow of the Old Testament? Just heard of it? If, if you took a Nazarite vow, um, you were trying to consecrate yourself to the Lord more. You were trying to show your love and appreciation to God more. There were three or four things that you were doing to try to increase your relationship with God in a greater way. It wasn't buying salvation. It wasn't that. It was just that you were dedicating yourself to Christ in a much greater way by taking this Nazarite vow. Three things that you uh, would really try to live up to during that vow was you could not shave your head, you couldn't cut your hair, you couldn't touch anything that had to do with the grape, a raisin or the grapevine, anything to do with that, and you could not touch a dead body, all right, while you were consecrated to the Lord and dedicating your life to Christ. And uh, here's what you need to know about it as well. At the end of the vow, when it was all said and done, to ratify the vow or to make it good, you had to do two things at the end of the vow. Um, you had to offer sacrifices at the temple at some great expense, to be honest with you. It would cost a bit of money to offer the lamb or the other things that they had talked about. So you had to offer a sacrifice. Then you had to shave your head then at the end of the vow. You'd put your hair under the altar where the a sacrifice was being made and your hair would burn up and uh, and it was a completed vow to God when you did those two things at the very end okay and again the sacrifices were going to be a little costly so now let's pick up in verse 23 uh, do therefore this that we say to thee we have four men which have a vow on them they're in the midst of their Nazarite vow take uh, them take you go together with them Purify thyself uh, with them and, and, and be at charges with them. In other words, when it comes time to have to buy the sacrificial lamb or the sacrifices you're going to have to offer at the end, you, you'll divide up the charges with them and it won't be so costly on all the men. So, uh, and be at charges with them that they may shave their heads and all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing, but that thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law. Now, again, um, can you look back up here? So you understand what they're saying? Why don't you jump in on this Old Testament Nazarite vow along with them, help pay some of the charges. They'll appreciate that. Shave your head with them when it's all said and done. And then they'll know that you're not this guy that's going around trying to, you know, stab Moses in the back, so to speak, and, and get rid of these really, really good practices. Well, Paul knew better. Paul knew that the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice at Calvary, absolutely did away with all the Old Testament sacrifices. No longer necessary, but he's trying to tone things down a little bit for the Jews, for them to be able to grow a little bit and understand better. Look at verse uh, 25. As touching the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing. They don't have to keep the law, the, the, the Gentiles. 
save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. And so when these Gentiles would get saved, they agreed, yep, we will we'll avoid those things, sure. Verse 26, then Paul took the man and the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. In other words, he said, sure, I'll do that. I'll jump in on this Nazarite vow, purify myself in the manner that I have to so that I can be a part of this um, vow. And they'll see and understand that I'm not here to wipe out everything they've been teaching. And maybe, I know Paul's thinking was, I can also help them to see and understand how these things were not as necessary as they once used to be. And I appreciate that attitude about him. Now, having read the scripture and everything, let me have a prayer. I don't want to get into my thoughts here this morning. God, thank you again for letting us be here this morning for the great example that I have seen here in the Apostle Paul and uh, pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to this. Father, please may the Holy Spirit that worked in this man's life, would you work in our church here today? And God, may we see and understand there are just some things in the Christian life that, that to be able to reach people that we should be willing to, uh, to humble ourselves. Maybe to have that spirit of Christ that would uh, help us to be a better witness and a testimony to our families, to those guys at work, uh, to people we'll meet on the street, and to glorify the Lord. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Wish I could say that the Jews have gotten better about this. Um, I don't know uh, a whole lot of saved Jews, but I, on visitation, I told you this several months ago, I had met a door knocking. We were out handing out flyers, inviting people to come to church, and I met uh, a man that was a full-blooded Jew, and I remember trying to talk to him about uh, you know, the Lord, and I said I was so excited to meet a full-blooded Jew and to be able to talk to him, and, and I said, uh, you know, I know what you believe about Jesus Christ, and I said, but I, I'd love to be able to tell you what he's done for me and how he's changed my life and how he can be a blessing to you. And, and I remember him uh, coming instantly back to me very sternly. It wasn't, he wasn't rude. As a matter of fact, he wrote me a letter later afterwards and <clears throat> told me how much he appreciated some things and some sites I could go on to and, and learn more about their, their beliefs. But, but he said to me, uh, <clears throat> he said, I can tell you one thing with great certainty. I will never have one thing ever to do with Jesus Christ, ever. And it was just so cut and dried. Um, because they hold to the law so tenaciously. Um, but Paul was willing to put up with that. Paul was willing to get to those people and, uh, and to go into this Nazarite vow. And some people would say, and I've heard preachers preach from pulpits at pastor's fellowships that Paul compromised he was a compromiser. What was he doing going back and bringing uh, some of the old, uh, you know, old Testament ways and the law that had now been done away by the blood of Christ and Calvary? What was he doing going and partaking of those vows like that? He really messed up. And I've heard preachers just rail on him. And there's just something in my heart wasn't ringing right with what they were saying. I understood what, what they were trying to say, but I really appreciate the spirit that I see coming out in the Apostle Paul and I so long to have his spirit. I, I, I'm not saying I want to go back and take Nazarite vows and 
find the Jews and do what they're doing so I can maybe win them to Christ. Although in this day, Paul was willing to do that. Anything to try to bring these men to a place where they could see the Spirit of Jesus. And maybe I can really get them to understand. And these were saved Jews that he's trying to win over to a full understanding. That the cross of Christ was sufficient for everything. And that Christ's work was completed. And when he did that, he fulfilled the entire law. And how much freer they could be in the Lord without having to live under the law. And Paul knew that. And Paul knew what it was like to live in liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty and freedom like nowhere else. And he's like, I want my people to know that. I want them to get that. I want my people to live in freedom. And I could say that here today, guys. We need to live in the liberty of Christ. That doesn't mean that I'm free to sin and do anything, anything I want to do like that. But I'm free to live for God. And I don't have the boundaries of an old life that hold me in a box making me live and do certain things just so I can feel spiritual. God wants us to have the liberty to serve Him, faithfully serve Him, and give Him your entire life uh, if, if need be to be able to, to be faithful to God. So let me, let me make some um, observations from this passage of Scripture. I've kind of been highlighting them a little bit as I've gone along. But based upon what we've seen in Paul's life, can I, can I say some things here this morning that hopefully we can adopt and understand how Christ was pressing his, his own spirit through the Apostle Paul? Let me say this, first of all, this morning. The cause that we serve here today is much greater than us. The cause that we serve, the The reason I get out of bed every day and the reason I bow down before a holy God, the cause that we serve is so much greater than you or me. And please consider that. The Apostle Paul knew that. That man knew that when he went to Jerusalem, he'd already had prophets tell him when you go there, you're going to be bound and possibly even slain if you go to Jerusalem. And and he turned around to them and said, listen, guys, I don't count my life dear to myself. I don't care if if in the process of knowing the leadership of God and I'm following that leadership of God and as I'm serving the Lord, if my life is taken, I'm fine with that. It's okay. Because Paul knew and understood there was a cause much greater than the person that stands behind this pulpit or the people that are sitting in the pew. The cause is so much greater than that. We'd be foolish to think that we are on the same plane as, or the same level as Jesus Christ, although He has made me as worthy as Him, but my life does not measure up to His, and my thoughts and my ways and my plans don't come close to what God has for me. A lot of the arguments that we have in our Christianity are, they're more for our our own personal pride than for the very cause of Christ. We will develop our own little kingdoms and and I'm doing my thing. And even in churches, faithful people will develop their little kingdoms and feel like I'm so very important. And, and if I wasn't here, this, this ministry couldn't make it or it wouldn't be as good as, uh, as it could be if, if I wasn't here. We put ourselves on some kind of a platform that really and truly only ever belongs to God. John 13, 16 says... Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. Why does God have to put verses in the Bible like that? 
because there are people within Christianity, servants of Christ, that can get to feeling greater than the Lord himself. And you say, I would never feel that way. I never would I ever do that, but your actions speak louder than what your own understanding sometimes comes to. I read a great illustration, and I just love this. Uh, let, me, let me read this to you. It says, during his reign, King Frederick William III of Prussia found himself in trouble. Wars had been costly, and in trying to build the nation, he was seriously short of finances. He couldn't disappoint his people, and to give in to the enemy was unthinkable. So after careful reflection, he decided, get this one guys, he decided to ask the women of Prussia to bring their jewelry of gold and silver to be melted down for their country. And for each ornament received, he determined to exchange a decoration of either bronze or iron as a symbol of his gratitude. Each decoration would be inscribed, and it would say these words, I gave gold for iron, 1813. How do you think that would go over? Well, the response was overwhelming. And even more important, these women prized their gifts that the king gave them more highly than their former jewelry. The reason, of course, is very clear the, the decorations were proof that they had sacrificed for their king. And indeed, it became unfashionable then to wear jewelry. And so was established what they call the Order of the Iron Cross. Members wore no ornaments except a cross of iron for everyone to see. And I love the I love the illustration's ending, how they put a little application to this. And it says, Christians come to their king. When we come to, before the Lord Jesus Christ, they too exchange the treasure of their former life for a cross. Praise the Lord. I believe what the lesson is for you and me today is, man, take up your cross and follow him. Take what you think is your precious life and that, uh, you know, I, I'm something special and that, you know, without me, this, this, this world's never going to be able to make it and understand there is a cause, there is a Savior that is so much greater than me and myself and my life and the way I'd like to live my life and the plans that I have, there's a cause that is so much greater than that. And, and are you willing to lay down your life and take up a cross? Well, I kind of like my life and it's very precious to me and, and it's valuable, it's like a you know, a, a precious perfume to my life. How, why would I ever lay that down and take up a cross? Because you understand the cause is greater than your plans in your life. And I'm willing to lay my life down for that. My only greatness lies in the fact that God's grace lifted me up out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. That's where my greatness comes from. And the only great one is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the reason that the cause is so great, not because of me or any of my merits or what I've got to add to what he has done. He is the reason the cause is so great. So first of all, tonight, this morning, the, the cause is so much greater than us. And then number two, let me tell you something else I see from this passage of Scripture. If I looked at the Apostle Paul and I watched his life and I realized some things about this that I want to adopt into my life, just say number two this morning, 
guys, I have no rights. Could we all just say a little amen to that? How about a hearty amen? I have no rights. Um, and, and you know as well as I do, we live in a world today, uh, a litigious society. We live in a society that sues for their rights. Um, you know, I, I am owed this, and I brought this out in, in my introduction. People feel like I am owed this. They have a, an entitlement mentality that you don't infringe upon my rights. Who do you think you are trying to take this from me? And, and, and uh, you know, as simple as a parking spot. That was my parking spot, you know, glaring at somebody after they got your spot. I mean, can you just come to the place where you recognize and understand that when I knelt at the foot of the cross, I lay my rights down to him and I take up his cause. I don't have rights, so to speak, spiritually speaking, anymore. Um, when I place my faith in Christ to be my Savior, my rights died on Calvary with him. Colossians 3 and verse 3 as a reminder, verses 3 and 4, for ye are dead, and your life, your life, is hid with Christ in God. So when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Think about what he just said. My life is hid with Christ in God, and Christ is my life. Jesus is my life, and everything that I feel like I own or that is a is a part of me really is in effect and in reality Jesus Christ himself I don't have rights of my own to go around demanding that you must treat me a certain way and you've got to you got to make me feel like I'm very special or if you act like this around me or make me feel less than they're about to do to the apostle Paul that guy goes to prison and eventually his head drops in a basket because of him willingly laying his life down for Christ. He gave his rights up. And when others have bumped into us in this life, and I just feel like you're not, you don't respect me, and you're not giving me the attention and, and the kind of honor and respect that I deserve. Guys, listen, we got to lay that down at the cross of Christ. Jesus is the deserving one. He's the one that um, is owed any kind of sacrifice that I could give. Hurt feelings within Christianity are so much a part of me feeling like you owe me something. And guys, you don't owe me anything when Christ has given me all. <laughs> I've got it all in Him. And maybe you just kind of lost sight of the fact that you're rich in the Lord. And to sue somebody on this earth or some little petty thing when you have Jesus Christ and all of his glory wrapped around you is foolish. And I wish we could come to a place of understanding that there is a cause much greater than myself. Number two, I don't have any, I don't have any rights. We cannot be guilty of trying to carve out a life for myself that fits my understanding best. This is the way I think it ought to be for me and the way I understand the scriptures and, and you know, life's been a little tough for me and, and so I just feel like it ought to be like this. Guys, you can't carve out your own life like that. You have to lay it down before Jesus and let God give you his life. That's when you'll find the greatest satisfaction. That's when you'll be the, the happiest in this Christian life. And I'm going to tell you, until you're willing to do that, you're going to be miserable. And you're, you're not going to understand life. And you're going to wonder, why am I not getting things that I feel like I need in this life? God never wanted you to have the things that you wanted in this life. 
He wanted to give you the very best in this life, and that is wrapped up in him. Then let me just say number, number three this morning. God's going to call on you sometimes in this Christian life to do things that you're going to think are absurd. Now, honestly, when we look back on the Apostle Paul, think about this. Here he goes. Uh, he said, yeah, I'll join in with these Nazarite guys, and I'll be a part of them, and I'll go through the cleansing process. I'm willing to pay some big bucks out for the sacrifice toward the end. I'm willing to shave my head. Anybody here ever smell burnt hair? That is one of the grossest smells in the entire world. Um, I'm willing to shave my head, put my hair into the altar, and burn my hair. And I'm willing for these guys to feel like I was willing to walk alongside of them. And, uh, and, and I know Christ's blood took care of it all. I know that the sacrifice Jesus made brings me 100% into a right relationship with God. And I no longer need these kind of vows. But I'm willing, I'm willing to do this if it would cause those folks to listen up. And if they would be willing to hear what I have to say about the truth of Jesus Christ paying the price of all the Old Testament demands, I'm willing to do this. We don't have a whole lot of that in the world today. We don't have a whole lot of that in churches today. I've seen a lot of it, and and I've seen a lot of Christians doing a lot of great things, but I'm saying on a large scale, let's just bring it into the home. Let's just be really, really frank and honest about this. It's hard sometimes to be absurd almost to the point of being willing to to lay my life down so that I can bring my spouse to a place of fully understanding. But they make me feel so, and you can fill in the blanks, and I, I know that, but you wouldn't feel so, whatever that word is, if you knew how good you were in the eyes of God and how precious you were before the Lord and that God looks at you as, as, as valuable as his son. That's the way God looks at you. And for some little human being to feel a certain way about you should not rob you of your confidence and your joy in the Lord. Why aren't you willing in your marriage to be the one to make the sacrifice, to make things better? You know why? You say that's absurd. To be willing to do this or that. And to, I'm all, I've heard this a dozen times. I'm always the one going back and trying to make things right and apologizing. And I'd say, praise the Lord, then you're always the one that looks like Jesus. Always trying to make things right. Always willing to make sacrifices uh, to try to bring people into a closer walk and a closer relationship with the Lord. What you want, please hear this, you want them to be closer to you more than you want them to be closer to God. I want to say that again. You want them to be closer to you and to be right with you more than you want them to be right with God. So you're going to fight for your rights. And you're going to demand that you treat me a certain way and act a certain way. In churches, if so-and-so doesn't act this way toward me or if they can't get things right with me or some Christian somewhere else, wherever it might be, you know, uh, uh, you have to be right with me and make things right. You cannot treat me that way. And you're unwilling to let Christ be seen in your life. You're unwilling to be an Ed Hungaski because you're too embarrassed or you've got too much pride or you feel like I just, I just can't be that way. Friend, you can't be that way, but Jesus can do that through you. Just lay your life down and take up a cross 
And realize there's a cause much greater than your plans and your life. I have no rights. There's going to come a time in my life God's going to call on me to do some things that I think are absurd to do. But in the eyes of God, it's a willing sacrifice to be able to bring that person into a right relationship with the Father. And on, in the process of that person then getting right with the Father, I promise you they'll be made right with you. Paul wanted those people to be free. Paul wanted the saved Jews at church in Jerusalem to understand that you know, guys, the Old Testament law is not necessary anymore. Jesus Christ is all. You can be complete in the Lord. You can have such joy and freedom in Christ and liberty in the Lord. But he also knew if he stood up to them and got in their face and said, Hey, now look, guys, you're being a little bit foolish, don't you think? I mean, don't you know the blood of Christ and how valuable it was? And, and you're trying to offer a blood sacrifice, and, and here's the blood of Christ. I mean, if he goes on and on and starts arguing like that, guys, how much... How much learning do you think is really going to happen in that classroom? Very little. But he was willing to bring himself down to their level. And again, I'm not talking about you going and sitting down in a bar and ordering up a drink and drinking alongside of a buddy so you can win him to Christ. That is not what I'm talking about. But being willing to come down to the level where they're at, not make them feel like they're foolish and, 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 uh, and stupid and so forth. But hey, I can sit alongside of you and share with you some truths and they'll open their eyes up and begin to listen spouses will do that in a greater way if you'll learn that so there will be times god will call upon you to do the absurd and then last and we'll be done this morning if i'm going to serve christ if you're going to serve the lord hey eastside baptist if you're really going to serve god and make that true commitment to the lord <clears throat> it's going to require you to do what the bible calls esteeming others better than yourself um, Philippians 2 and verse 3 is everybody awake and listening to this Philippians 2 3 these are the words of God to us let nothing be done through strife or vain glory but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves my treatment of you ought to be better than the way I would treat myself if, so if I'm going to buy myself a Snickers, I should buy you two of them, I guess. <laughs> Others better than myself. The way I feel like I would like to be treated, why don't I treat others that way and even better? You know why we don't? Because life is about me. I'm trying to build my life. Please listen. And I have my own little kingdom and as long as i have my own little kingdom i don't need you because i've got my own little special spot in life and i've got some little group of people that would run with me and we're we feel very special and i am the most special one but god says that's not the way it is aren't you glad jesus christ when he came to this earth was willing to lay aside please hear this his kingdom lay it aside and all of his glory and all of his honor. What did he do? He took upon himself the form of a servant and looked like us. Humbled himself. Showed himself to be just like us. So much so that he was willing to take all of our sin upon him and die for me.
Where's that attitude today in churches? And churches are only as strong as the homes. Where's that attitude in our marriages and with our teenagers and our children in our homes toward their parents? Where is that attitude? I can tell you where it's at. It's lost in these little castles built all over churches and in homes with you sitting on the throne. I'm the leader and I'm the king. God says, I want you to learn how to esteem other better than yourself. If I know the Apostle Paul, when it came time to pay in for those animal sacrifices at the end of their vow, if I knew him, he probably, probably wanted to pay just a little bit more. Here, here let me cover it a little bit more. Let me, let me do this. Is there anything else I can do for you? Paul was that kind of a servant. I'm just saying this morning, guys, Jesus was just shining through this guy's life. Paul couldn't hold him back. Paul was so full of the Lord, his mornings probably consisted of a time in the Word of God and a time on his knees before God, just drawing close to the Lord and knowing what it's like to have a great relationship with God and to feel the love of Christ in his heart and soul. And by the time he got up and went out and began to serve, that Spirit of Christ lived through his mind and his actions. And and what was that Spirit of Christ? Everywhere Jesus went, he tried to help people. And when Christians can get that attitude and understand others may have hurt me, they may have treated me wrongly, they may not treat me like others may want to be treated, but I don't need that. I have Jesus in my life. And I love you and I want to be a blessing and a help to people's lives. Can you imagine a church full of people like that? What we could do for a congregation when that attitude would just spread through all of us. Imagine what our marriages would look like. Imagine what a a church that would spread out into a whole city and spread that attitude around a whole city. Imagine what that could do for a city. And imagine if the churches in America would spread that attitude throughout an, an entire nation. Imagine what that country could do for God. But it has to start right here, right inside of you. And you're holding on to something today. It's either Jesus or the keys to your castle. And if you're holding on to the keys to a castle, God says, I have a cross. I'm willing to trade for that key. Who's going to be the king of your life? The Apostle Paul had a tremendous attitude. What a spirit. God help us to have that kind of an attitude here today. And if God would whisper to your heart this morning, man, I've prayed and I've asked God, please God, do something in our service this morning. Would you talk to our hearts? Let Jesus just burst through my life and whatever it is that would be holding back Christ from shining through me, I'm willing to lay that at an altar and take up a cross to serve him. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning, our heads bowed and eyes closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.